0: For those of you who are, are not regulars at uh, South Bend Rouge Presbyterian Church, uh, I'm uh, I'm Woody. I'm one of the uh, two assistant pastors. You saw Josh in the earlier part of the service, and uh, uh, now I'm uh, the preacher. We're going uh, to explain how we do things. I have been doing things this last year or so. Uh, the three pastors have been taking uh, sort of four-week shots at the book of Acts. We are working our way through the book of Acts. We're up to the end of chapter 21 and into the beginning of chapter 23. Uh, This morning, as I finish up my four-week stint uh, in Acts, and then next week, uh, our senior pastor, Scott, will take back uh, the helm and uh, see us do part of uh, the rest of the book of Acts. Uh, But anyway, uh, we're working our way through this uh, book and hope to be finished uh, by the start of summer, uh, Lord willing. So that said, let me say this. In the last uh, two sermons, I said the best way to know God's will is to be willing to do it. But what I didn't say was, and we finally get around to saying this morning, just being willing to do God's will doesn't mean that you know God's will. And the case in point is the Apostle Paul, who was certain that he knew and was doing God's will when he was persecuting the church of Jesus Christ. And that brings us uh, to our text, which includes in it Paul's testimony to that fact. And it didn't fit in the bulletin, so I'm sorry. Uh, if you've got your Bible, get your Bible. If you've got your cell phone or your iPad, whatever digital device you use to uh, read the Bible, get it out and turn, or whatever you call it when you're doing it digitally, uh, to Acts, the 21st chapter. And uh, there, beginning at verse 37, those last verses of Acts, chapter 21, and we'll read through to... Uh, Chapter, 20, into chapter 23. As Paul was about to be brought into the barracks, he said to the tribune, May I say something to you? And he said, Do you know Greek? Are you not the Egyptian then who recently stirred up a revolt and led the 4,000 men of the assassins out into the wilderness? Paul replied, I am a Jew from Tarsus in Cilicia, a citizen of no obscure city. I beg you, permit me to speak to the people. And when he had given him permission, Paul, standing on the steps, motioned with his hands to the people. And when there was a great hush, he addressed them in the Hebrew language, which was probably really Aramaic. That was what the the Jews used in the first century as their common uh, speech, saying, Brothers and fathers, hear the defense that I now make before you. And when they heard that he was addressing them in the Hebrew language, they became even more quiet. And he said, I am a Jew, born in Tarsus in Cilicia, but brought up in this city, educated at the feet of Gamaliel, according to the strict manner of the law of our fathers, being zealous for God, as all of you are this day. I persecuted this way to the death, binding and delivering to prison both men and women as the high priest and the whole council of elders can bear me witness. From them I received letters to the brothers, and I journeyed toward Damascus to take those also who were there and bring them in bonds to Jerusalem to be punished. As I was on my way and drew near to Damascus, about noon a great light from heaven suddenly shone around me. And I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I answered, Who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. Now those who were with me saw the light, but did not understand the voice of the one who was speaking to me. And I said, What shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, Rise and go into Damascus, and there you will be told all that is appointed for you to do. Since I could not see because of the brightness of that light, I was led by the hand by those who were with me and came into Damascus. And one Ananias, a devout man according to the law well spoken of by all the Jews who lived there, came to me and standing by me said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very hour I received my sight and saw him. And he said, The God of our fathers appointed you to know his will, to see the righteous one, and to hear a voice from his mouth." For you will be a witness for him to every one of what you have seen and heard. And now, why do you wait? Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. When I had returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple, I fell into a trance and saw him saying to me, Make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly, because they will not accept your testimony about me. And I said, Lord, they themselves know that in one synagogue after another, I imprisoned and beat those who believed in you. And when the blood of Stephen, your witness, was being shed, I myself was standing by and approving and watching over the garments of those who killed him. And he said to me, Go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. Up to this word, they listened to it. Then they raised their voices and said, Away with such a fellow from the earth, for he should not be allowed to live. And as they were shouting and throwing off their cloaks and flinging dust into the air, the tribune ordered him to be brought into the barracks, saying that he should be examined by flogging, to find out why they were shouting against him like this. But when they had stretched him out for the whips, Paul said to the centurion who was standing by, is it lawful for you to flog a man who is a Roman citizen and uncondemned? When the centurion heard this, he went to the tribune and said to him, What are you about to do? For this man is a Roman citizen. So the tribune came and said to him, Tell me, are you a Roman citizen? He said, Yes. The tribune answered, I bought this citizenship for a large sum. Paul said, But I am a citizen by birth. So those who were about to examine him withdrew from him immediately, and the tribune also was afraid, for he realized that Paul was a Roman citizen and that he had bound him. But on the next day, desiring to know the real reason why he was being accused by the Jews, he unbound him and commanded the chief priests and all the council to meet, and he brought Paul down and set him before them. And looking intently at the council, Paul said, Brothers, I have lived my life before God in all good conscience up to this day. Now, when Paul perceived that one part were Sadducees and the other Pharisees, he cried out in the council, "'Brothers, I am a Pharisee, a son of Pharisees. It is with respect to the hope and the resurrection of the dead that I am on trial.' And when he had said this, a dissension arose between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the assembly was divided. For the Sadducees say that there is no resurrection, nor angel, nor spirit." Let's pray. Oh God, the Holy Spirit who inspired these words and indeed uh, uh, brought them to this paper and put into this book, we pray that you would write them now in our hearts, our minds, that you would give us understanding and give us application that we might be not simply hearers of the word, readers of the word, but by your grace that we might be doers of the word as well. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Well, Paul testified uh, before his Jewish audience and the Roman onlookers, starting with his Jewish birth and his Jewish education and his zeal for Judaism, which led him to persecute Christians, and ultimately onto the road to Damascus to bring back Christians to be killed he told of uh, though of his meeting the Lord Jesus on that road to Damascus being intercepted by Jesus in all of his glory that blinded Paul so that he had to be led into Damascus by the hand he told of Ananias coming and restoring his sight and, and delivering God's call to him which Jesus later reiterated uh, Paul said in Jerusalem sending him to the Gentiles and at that point the crowd just broke into a frenzy but the Romans rescued Paul brought him into uh, uh, their barracks and uh, uh, saved him the next day uh, the Roman tribune uh, uh, when they brought him into the barracks they wanted to flog him, the Romans' way of getting, getting to the truth. And they're about to flog him when they discover he's a Roman citizen, and so the flogging starts before it gets to begin. And then the next day, the Roman tribune ordered Paul to meet with the Jewish leaders, where Paul brought up the resurrection. And when he brought up the resurrection, knowing full well that that was the division between the Sadducees, you'll pardon me, I've got to say it. The Sadducees who didn't believe in the resurrection. And that is why, remember what your Sunday school teacher said? And that is why they're sad, you see. (laughs) And the Pharisees who believed in the resurrection and a lot of other things. And who were actually closest, had been closest to Jesus in their theology. During his incarnation. And he divided the house. And the house fell into a tumult, and if they could have got their hands on him, the half that uh, were upset with him would have taken his life. So they rescued him again and bring him into the barracks. And then we read in verse 11, which we haven't gotten to yet. But before we get there, stop on, on what we've read. And here is the whole application to everything I just read. This is the sermon on all of that. It's summed up in, in friends of my friend and a, and a seminary classmate, uh, Derek Thomas, who gets to that point in his exposition of Acts and he says, Oh, that you and I would be out and out for Christ. Because that's what you see in Paul, is it not? You see a man, and hear a man, who had come to know Jesus. To whom he gave his life over, and now even giving his defense, he's proclaiming Jesus Christ to the world. Oh, that you and I would be out and out for Christ. That's that part of the sermon. Now, we get to the part of the uh, text that's printed in your bulletin. There was room for that, to put the 11th uh, verse of chapter uh, uh, 23 there. Last week, before I read it, last week, excuse me, perhaps some of you thought that I spoke somewhat discouragingly, uh, somewhat negatively, as I was talking about our living for Jesus. And I hope to change that a little bit. I didn't mean it to be discouraging. I knew it was negative, but uh, hopefully you find this more uplifting. The 11th chapter of Acts chapter 23. The following night, the Lord stood by him and said, Take courage, for as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome. And in that verse, Paul had Christ's presence, he had Christ's prescription, and he had Christ's promise. I never use alliteration, but I couldn't help it. And here's the thing, that Paul's experience there, again, informs our living for Jesus the way we walk with Jesus. But I hope in a more encouraging way from last week where we had to put it all in the negative. Because like Paul, you too have the presence of Jesus Christ. Every Christian does. Go back to Paul. Imagine his emotional state there in the barracks. I mean, in, in the space of a couple of days, he, he's almost been killed three times. And he's in sort of protective custody at the moment. And he doesn't know what's coming. All he was trying to do was be faithful to Jesus. And then Jesus is standing by him. How that emotional state of Paul must have changed encouraged he must have become at Jesus' presence what about you here this morning what's your emotional state what was it on the way over here you have Jesus' presence not in the same sense as Paul. You have it by the Holy Spirit who indwells you and indwells you 24 hours every day. And in him, the Lord Jesus Christ is present with you. If the words of Psalm 139 were true for David how much more are they true for you? Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. You and I, heirs to that God is with us in Jesus Christ by the Holy Spirit every day everywhere and like Paul you too have Christ's prescription in two words take courage take courage remember Jesus talking to the paralytic or to the Woman with a hemorrhage, or to blind Bartimaeus, or to so many others. How many times, to how many men and women did Jesus say, Don't fear, take courage? He said it to the disciples, and in saying it to the disciples, he said it to you and me. In this world, you will have tribulation, but take courage. I have overcome the world. And the overcomer of the world is with you. Is in you. He lives with you. And he walks with you. He's there. Take courage. Third, like Paul, you too have Christ's promise. You must it's the same divine imperative we talked about in Christ going to Jerusalem to the cross even the son of man must go to Jerusalem he must suffer at the hands of the authorities, he must hang on the cross and die he must be buried, he must he must be raised from the dead it's God's will he must So Paul had to come to Jerusalem. I must go to Jerusalem. It's God's will. So Jesus comes to him. And says to him. Not as a command. But as a promise. You must. Testify. In Rome. There is no way Paul on this green earth that you cannot get to Rome to testify to me you must go because it's my will it's the father's will you will get to Rome and there testify of me note Jesus promised that Paul would get to Rome Note, he didn't say how, nor did he say it would be pleasant or easy or without suffering, without setbacks, without being the odd man out, those things we talked about last week. He didn't say it would be fun. He just said it would be. Somebody's written, God is not guaranteed an easy voyage. But he has promised a safe harbor. And because he's with you, you'll accomplish what he has for you to do. And you can take that to the bank. Ken Hughes told the story of a guy named Ray Edmund Ray Edmund was a missionary in Ecuador in the year 1926. He was in his mid-20s. He was sick with something, I can't remember now what it was, malaria or whatever it was. And they had carried him to the big city and to the hospital. And his wife got there and he was in the dishes got there. And the doctor said, well, he's in the process of death. cold he'll die soon. And so one of the missionaries left and went out and bought a coffin. And his wife didn't have a black dress. So she went back. She dyed her wedding dress black. And they set the date and the time for the funeral. It would be July 4th, 1926, 3 o'clock in the afternoon. In 1967 the fourth president of Wheaton College, the premier, I guess, evangelical college in in America, was addressing the student body when he collapsed and died. His name was Dr. V. Raymond Edmond. He used to be known as Ray Edmond, that missionary that was supposed to die in Ecuador 41 years earlier. Hughes says, God's servants are immortal until their work is done. There's never been a Christian, a servant of Christ, who's died prematurely. That includes Jim Elliott, who we've talked about before, who died in Ecuador at the age of 27. 29 years later, I guess, after Edmund was there. Let me... I mean, that's just true. If you're serving Christ in whatever capacity, not, not necessarily in the professional ministry, Christ, if, if you're a Christian, God's got stuff for you to do. And you're going to get it done, and until you get it done, you're immortal. I think that's absolutely true. Personal testimony, short version of it. On May first, two thousand, I was a dead man. I didn't mean I died, but you know, two doctors were working on me in the emergency room. One of them was a close friend, a brother in Christ, one of my elders. He told me later, he said, What 15, 20 minutes in, I gave up. I quit praying for you, I was praying for you. He said, You're a dead man. He said, I, I looked over at the other doctor, and This guy's gone. So we got you on the helicopter to the lake. I don't know if he was joking about this or not. He said, But so that you wouldn't be on our mortality list over at Dwayne in, in, in Zachary, <laughs> you'd die over there on their hands. And to this day, I, I think he was telling the truth. <laughs> The doctor that said the cardiologist that happened to be there wrote me off when I saw him years later. He turned as white as these walls. He just turned pale. Said, I didn't think I'd ever see you. Said, I knew I wouldn't see you being able to do anything. You know, I'm here. <laughs> I'm doing. I'm moving around. Uh, I still see that cardiologist every at least two or three times a year. And he still just shakes his head. He says, you're a miracle. He said, no, I'm not a miracle. No, it's not done. I'm just slow. I haven't got the work done. <laughs> and, and, you know, and, or got it right. And, I, you know, he's trying to keep me around. And I get it done right. Whatever. I'm immortal until my work's done. And then I go home. And the exact same thing is true of you. So, so be encouraged. You're going to get done what God has for you to do. You can take that to the bank, along with all those negatives I gave you last week. That should be the end of the sermon. Except, I've got to go back to my two previous sermons. Because there was something I left out that that I've got to address. I, I failed to do it back then. And from the time I gave the benediction well, to this morning, I've just been wrestling with it and, and just things that I have to go back and say. I said that the best way to know God's will is to be willing to do it. But I have to add on, on the basis of Paul's experience and his own testimony, that you can't, know, you can't know and do God's will unless you know him. That's what I left out. You can't know God's will if you don't know God in Jesus Christ. Paul thought he knew what he was doing. He thought he was doing God's will when he was killing Christians, Remember? He had a zeal for God, but without knowledge. But (laughs) then he met Jesus. Face to face, Jesus in all his resurrection glory. Everything changed. Saul became the apostle. What about you? What about you? Have you met Jesus in that same sort of dramatic, life-changing encounter? I'm not talking about in the same way that Paul met him. I'm not asking if Jesus appeared to you in all his resurrection glory, literally, are you, are you reading his word and have you found him there you sit in South Baton Rouge Church or wherever you sit Sunday by Sunday by Sunday and you're listening to sermons if you're here you're, you're observing the Lord's Supper on the first Sunday of every month I calculated it's 182 times we've probably had the Lord's Supper at, at South Baton Rouge Church if you've been here from the beginning you you met Jesus in all of that? Let me tell you God's will. It's not what I think God's will is. Let me tell you God's will. And it's not from me. It's from Jesus Christ. From his very own lips. For this is the will of my Father. Everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him shall have eternal life. And I will raise Him up on the last day. That's the Father's will this morning. Have you looked on Jesus? and believed in him. If so, I can tell you with the utmost authority that you have eternal life. And the Lord Jesus Christ on the last day will raise you from the dead and bring you... But what if you haven't? What if you haven't? Will you? Will you look to Jesus and rest in Him? and I would be out and out for Christ and usually right here I say let's pray except I'm not going to pray aloud I'm going to pray silently and I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes or whatever you want to do but you pray silently too I imagine you may have something to say to the Lord